1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. on Wall Street. Here is your top five at five stocks picking up where they left off after their worst start to a year in five decades. Futures are down again to kick off July. It is not just stocks. Crypto keeps getting hit. Bitcoin coming off its worst month on record. It is back under 20K right now. A rough quarter, month, and week. Chips taking a big dip, seeing their worst month since the financial crisis. And now one big CEO is out with a warning to Congress. Facebook parent meta platforms tightening its belt as it faces what it calls fierce headwinds. And Later on, Kohl's abandoning plans, at least for now, to take itself private as its latest deal talks fall apart. It is all happening on this Friday, July 1st. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. And as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Friday morning, I think. Welcome to July. Let's kick off the first day of the month, the quarter, and the second half of the year with a check on futures. And they kind of look today like they did on the last day of the first half of the year. They are down across the board. Not a lot. Dow futures down, what, 90 points, NASDAQ down 50 as well, but no new month pop for the markets at least for now. And by now, you no doubt know the stats: the S&P 500 coming off its worst first half to a year since 1970, NASDAQ and NASDAQ 100 coming off their worst quarter since the 2008 financial crisis, the Dow and Russell worst quarter since well back in 2020, of course, when the pandemic and lockdowns hit. All ahead of the open today, the major averages down at least 16% from their highs. The Nasdaq is down twice that, more than 30% from its record high. Wow. One reason is that bond yields and interest rates have soared this year. Right now, yields are actually down a little bit on the 10-year. In fact, they're back under 3%. If you want some good news and what's already been a tough day, we're a minute into the show, uh, is that mortgage rates maybe should stop moving up quite as much with bond yields sort of st- holding steady. Over the last two months, first half of the year also brought a pretty historic move in energy markets as well with crude oil turning in nine straight positive quarters for the first time ever, or at least until we started keeping records back in 1983 and oil is up 40% this year. A little bit of a different story for natural gas. It fell more than 33% in June. That is Natty Gas's worst month since December of 2018. Still, Nat gas, which is used, of course, in so many things, not just making power, is much higher than it was just about one year ago. It's more than doubled. And then, of course, there is crypto. Bitcoin coming off its worst month on record, losing more than 38% of its value. Similar story for Ether, falling about 47% in June. Bitcoin back below 20,000 right now. Ethereum just over 1,000, 1,069 per coin. All right, we'll get more on our markets coming up in just a bit. Let's get a check on the overseas action and some of their headlines and find out if they fared any better through the first half of the year. Juliana Tattlebaum is in London. Juliana, good morning.
2: Brian, good morning. Well, firstly, on this morning's trade, we started out the fresh quarter, the fresh half, in negative territory. But as you can see here, things have turned positive. The momentum has been building throughout the course of the morning. And we've got uh, some decent gains on the DAX and the CAC 40, modest, but still in positive territory. Spanish and Italian markets also moving higher. FTSE 100 has just crossed into positive territory as well in the last half an hour or so. The Swiss market still underperforming, though. We're down about 0.5%. You asked how we did over- Over the course of the first half, Brian, stock 600 traveled 16 percent lower over the first six months of the year. But that masks some pretty significant divergence from a regional perspective here in the U.K., the FTSE 100 was particularly resilient. We ended just about three percent lower for the first half. That's in comparison to Germany, where the DAX dropped about 20 percent. The U.K. market over indexed to energy and financials. And of course, we all know what happened to energy prices over the first half of the year. Now, back to today's trade from a sector perspective this is the picture it is a split board at the top we've got retail bouncing back retail has suffered particularly in recent trade we had a couple of big profit warnings over the last couple of weeks from uh, asos from Zalando, a couple of key online retailers so this morning a bit of a bounce back in the sector utilities also catching a bid this morning up 1.4 percent on the downside basic resources down 1.3 percent technology also following wall street tech stocks lower yesterday down about one percent brian back over to you
1: Juliana, thank you very much. All right, now let's get a check on some of your top corporate headlines that are happening right now, including Facebook's parent company tightening its corporate belt. Bertha Coombs is in this morning and has that and more. Good morning, Bertha.
3: Hey, good morning, Brian. First, let's start off with shares of Micron falling in the pre-market. Despite a big beat on its third quarter bottom line, CEO Sanjay Morotra warning the demand environment for the industry has weakened. In response, the company is taking drastic action to moderate supply growth for fiscal 2023 and slashing guidance for its current quarter. Micron now seeing revenue of $7.2 billion. That compares to estimates calling for upwards of $9. Billion adjusted EPS now expected to come in at $1.63 a share, compared to estimates looking for 2.57 a share. Meantime, Facebook parent Meta platforms. Not talking about pink slips, but says it's going to cut plans to hire engineers by at least 30 percent this year. That, according to Mark uh, to CEO Mark Zuckerberg, during an all hands meeting yesterday, Zuckerberg calling the current downturn the worst he's seen in recent history. And all meta is reducing its hiring target for engineers in 2022 to around 6,500 from a previous target of 10,000. In addition to the reduced hiring, the company is, quote, turning up the heat on existing staff unable to meet more aggressive goals. Zuckerberg telling his employees, quote, realistically, there are probably a bunch of people at the company who shouldn't be here. Yeah, that's a way to really get that team spirit going. Another manager adding, quote, we are in serious times here and the headwinds are fierce. And Elon Musk is currently on his longest stretch without posting to Twitter in nearly five years. His last post was on June 21st. Musk is normally what some would call a serial tweeter, and he has not gone more than six days without a tweet since January of 2018. This, of course, as Musk looks to complete his $44 billion deal to take Twitter private. Maybe he's actually getting some sleep for a change, Brian.
1: Sleep? What's that, Bertha? (laughs) What is this sleep thing you speak of? Right? We know that. (laughs) By the way, anybody else going to the Mark Zuckerberg School of Corporate Morale Boosting? What is he, a pirate? The beatings will continue until morale improves?
3: Yeah, that's that's not the best Harvard Business School case study, I don't think.
1: No, not when you're also telling people to come back to the office. Now, many of you shouldn't be here. Anyway, Bertha Coombs, we're glad you're here. And we'll see you in a few minutes. Bertha, thank you very much. (laughs) All right, let's get back down to the markets and your money and kick off our first guest with a wee bit of a history lesson as we head into the second half of the year. The S&P 500 fell 20.6% in the first half of this year. The biggest first half decline since a 21% drop in 1970. But by now, loyal viewer, you know that. But did you know this? Before this, going back to 1932, the S&P 500 has fallen more than 15% five times. And if you want to feel better in these tough numbers, know this. In each of those years, 32, 39, 40, 62, and yes, 1970, the S&P 500 bounced back in the second half with an average gain of 23.6 and a median rise of more than 15%. Yes, a small sample size, but... Hey, we're trying to find some glimmers of hope in all this. Bring in Delano Sapporo, founder and CEO of New Street Advisors, CNBC contributor. It's been a tough year, Delano. You can't blame a guy for trying to find a couple of positive
0: stats, can you? Good morning, Brian. And no, we can't blame you for trying to find a couple positive stats. <laughs> Although, um, if you're looking at the third quarter, um, I think there's still obviously, you know, headwinds um, still ahead of us. Uh, but I think you're right. If We're looking for kind of the, the, the rows in this whole sort of thing. If, if you look at like EPS projections, that's something that's been holding up pretty well. We're seeing rising 8.8 percent this year and, you know, 9.3 percent in 2023. So we're still holding up on EPS projections for S&P 500 companies. Um, but if those forecasts come down, then Uh, we we kind of, you know, may see another leg down.
1: Well, listen, I don't know everything. I don't know that much, to be honest with you, Delano, but I do know this. Stock markets go up over the long term. They do have these painful periods where they drop, whether it's for a year, could be, by the way, a lost decade, like it was in the 1970s. But at some point, stocks do stop going down, otherwise nobody would ever invest in the equity market. Is there anything that you're seeing, that gives you maybe a little optimism for the next six months, six years?
0: Yes. You know, and you mentioned a little bit about that as far as, you know, one thing I'm looking at, if we get a shallow than expected recession, everyone is bracing um, for what's, you know, obviously is, is rough times ahead. And if we see a shallow than expected contraction, I know we had the 1.6% contraction GDP in Q1. If, if we come in a little bit shallower, for uh, Q2, and then you maybe see the, the Fed switch to a different tone if we see inflation in certain areas, a core, maybe peak, um, and the projections are rate rising, you know, kind of get a little bit more hawkish. Then, then we could see, you know, the market trying to pull, kind of get a little bit better and less volatile in Q4, maybe first half in 20 or first quarter of 2023. But, you know, I think those are areas that investors should be looking at. I think younger investors should be looking at their portfolio and see if there needs to be a rebalancing. Obviously, your defensive, your staples, um, your energy performed well over the last year, Um, and now there might be some valuations that are pretty attractive for your growth party portfolio that's been hit pretty hard over Mm -hmm. the last year or so. So investors that are younger, as you mentioned, that time frame, um, this is an opportunity to look at those companies like maybe Meta or Apple that are cash flowing really, really well, strong balance sheets that are having a tough environment in this rate rising environment.
1: Yeah, well said. I have a a sneaky feeling, Delano. I'll make a bold prediction that Apple will still be a publicly traded company five years from now. I know a wild stab (laughs) on my part. Delano (laughs) Sapporo. Happy Friday, my friend. Have a good long weekend. Thank you very much, Delano. Be well.
0: All
1: right. We have got a lot more to do on this Friday. When we come back, turning up the heat in the buy now, pay later space. We're going to speak with one newcomer looking to give Klarna a firm and even the aforementioned Apple a run for its money. Plus, Kohl's latest plan to take itself private, falling apart. So what is next for the Wisconsin retailer? Later on, not everyone is a seller these days because there is some big-time insider buying going on. And we will exclusively bring you the top five insider buy stocks this week. That is all coming up as WEX rolls on right after this.
4: What does it mean to be rich?
1: Look at those gainers in the S&P this year. You notice they have something in common. They are all oil and gas. All right, switching gears. The once red-hot buy-now-pay-later space facing a bit of a chill these days thanks to growing headwinds. Companies are grappling with consumers being more selective with their spending due to inflation and rising borrowing costs. And while some have seen valuations take a hit, like a Klarna, UK-based Zilch is holding steady completing a recent funding round, helping the unicorn's valuation remain at $2 billion. So what makes them different? Let's find out. We're joined in a first on CNBC interview by Philip Bellamont. He is founder and CEO of UK-based Zilch. Philip, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on. Uh, There is, what, direct-to-consumer. There is business-to-business on buy now, BNPL, buy now, pay later, you guys have decided that it is the latter. The business-to-business the, the business side, which is where the real action is. Explain in plain English, please, it's early here in the United States, what that
5: means. Hey, Brian, good to see you again. Well, look, let's just be absolutely clear on the differentiation here. You have all of these BNPL checkout buttons that we talk a lot about, And actually, when you think about all these guys are selling to retailers, and so they're competing against one another, driving pricing down, really becoming commodities to win those finite number of deals. In our case, and of course, Apple, I'm really pleased to see Tim Cook and the the team, they followed the zilch approach here and said, no, let's go direct to consumers, over 5 billion adult consumers in the world. And so ultimately what happens is we have a, a whole customer base that really retailers are bidding against each other to access our customer base so we can bring them net new customers, incrementality, and purchasing power. And so the unit economic goes up. And so fundamentally, this is the different approach to the market and the model. And this is why at Zilch today, our investors are pleased to see that we have positive unit economics from returning active cohorts of customers. And of course, that's quite unique in the space where basically the more our customers use our product, the more money we can make. Um, And that's really exciting and interesting for our investors, and of course, for us as a business. And that's fundamentally the difference in the models. So are these micro loans to consumers, Philip, explain the
1: difference? Because there's been a lot of criticism on some of these models about, oh, you're extending credit to mostly young people. They don't understand how it could impact their credit rating going forward. Maybe they don't fully understand the mechanics of how it works. How does the under the hood
5: process work? Well, the first thing I would say is that, you know, companies have to be regulated in the space, right? Zilch has been regulated right from the get-go. You know, we're operating under federal law uh, throughout the whole of the United States. We have a FCA consumer credit license in the UK. We think you just have to be regulated. You need to give the consumer protection. This is a debt instrument after all. Um, But ultimately, the way we think about our mission and the problem is when you talk about a trillion dollars of debt revolving on credit cards at 20% APR plus. And that's across the UK and the US. So if you think about it like this, Brian, can you believe that we as consumers are paying $140 billion a year to credit card companies in in interest and fees? And so ultimately what this is, this is a way for customers to pay in one, get cashbacks, discounts, and deals, or they could pay over time, in other words, defer, defer payment over a period of 42 days for free, no interest of any kind. And effectively, the mission is let's make that $140 billion go away. There's never been a more important time for us to tackle this challenge. It's existed for almost 80 years. Credit cards came around in the 1950s. Nothing's changed since then. So, so Brian, really today, I think it's got to be clear. We're coming for those fees. We want to set that $140 billion down to zero. And credit card companies have been taking advantage of people too long. And we really think that yeah. this product is going to help people afford the things they need.
1: Are you worried about a UK, Europe, US economic slowdown with a
5: drop in consumer spending, Philip? I mean, what we are certainly seeing is a bit of a flight from discretionary purchasing to non-discretionary purchasing. There's no doubt about that. Um, But obviously, you know, we we had about 6% of the adult population as a customer base in the UK already in just two years. We expect to achieve more than that in the US. That's our aspiration over the next couple of years. And so obviously with the growth we have ahead of us, Um, you know, we can offset what we see in a slowdown in terms of top-line sales and so our revenue generation and growth. That's for sure. But we actually think that, you know, we are seeing a responsible behavior happening where people are saying, I don't maybe need that extra pair of shoes that might end up in a landfill in the next six months. Actually, I should be using a product like this for my non-discretionary purchasing. We're talking about grocery, gas, you know, lights, energy. And we really think that people should move away from uh, overdrafts, high cost credit, credit cards, and use products like this to help either manage their cash flow or receive discounts and value yeah. each and every time they transact.
1: All right, Philip Belmont, he is the CEO and co founder of Zilch, one of the hotter companies in that space. Philip, we appreciate you coming back on. Good to see you again. Come back time to time and let us know how things are going. Philip Belmont, thank you. All right, still on deck. We're going to look at supply chain woes, but not Asia. We're going European style this time. Plus, why many on the street are sticking with their bullish calls for semiconductor stocks, despite one of the worst months on record.
0: Today's big number, 42 million. That's how many people are expected to take a road trip this weekend for Independence Day, according to AAA. That would set a new record.
4: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jenny!
1: All right, welcome and welcome back. Let's get a quick market flash on General Mills. No news here, but we are trying to find some good news and good data in all this market turmoil this year. And here's one. General Mills, GIS, hitting a record high yesterday and is on pace for its best week since March. Cereal and yogurt maker was a $38 stock back in December of 2018, and it has now doubled since then. You go, Minneapolis, trying to find some Bright market spots. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's headlines outside of the markets of money, including the likely crushing traffic set to hit this weekend and a tough new update in the Britney Griner saga in Russia. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with that. Good morning, friends
7: Hi, Brian. Good Friday morning to you. Brittany Griner is set to stand trial today in Russia. If convicted, the basketball star could face up to 10 years in a Russian prison. Griner was arrested in February at an airport outside Moscow. Russian authorities say Griner was carrying a vape cartridge containing cannabis oil in her luggage. The U.S. State Department says she was wrongfully detained. Earlier this week, Griner was ordered to remain in custody for the length of her trial. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has been contact with Griner's wife Sherelle and that the U.S. is actively working to bring Griner home. Americans are gearing up for a busy July 4th weekend. AAA is predicting nearly 48 million people will travel for the holiday, close to pre-pandemic numbers. With airlines like Delta, United and American struggling since Memorial Day, there have been more than 3,000 total cancellations since Sunday morning. The FAA also identifying volatile weather again, especially in the southeast, leading to more delays and cancellations. NASA scientists are scratching their heads after a mystery rocket crashed into the moon. Agency astronomers had been tracking the unidentified rocket's trajectile last year before it made impact back in March. The projectiles wake left behind two craters totaling over 90 feet wide. According to the Houston Chronicle, no agencies or governments have claimed responsibility for the object, and we say agencies governments we're talking about within planet earth brian not sure beyond that and beyond the universe who may be responsible for something like that
1: an, an unknown rocket hit the moon i mean mm-hmm. this should be like the top story for every network an unknown rocket hit the moon
7: That's yeah, but didn't affect us here on planet earth right so i guess all's good until it happens again so it's be continued.
1: Well, yeah, what is this, Homer Hickam, October Sky, somebody <laughs> in their backyard making a rocket that hits the moon? Wow. Uh, France, if you get any more updates on that, the mystery alien rocket, we'd love to know. We're here you. for you. Yeah. A mystery rocket. They've been tracking it for two years? Okay, I'm intrigued. Anyway, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, NASA version. Get your pens ready. Your top five insider buys of the week. Plus insider trading allegations for a former top at one of the world's most valuable companies. Stick around. All right. Welcome and welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, everybody. And good Friday morning. Here's how markets and your money look at this 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time Hour. And they are coming into July like they went out of June. And that is weak. Futures are pointing to more losses at the open. Not a lot. We're down about one tenth of one percent, but still We are in the red. Now, it's not just been stocks that have been hit this year. Bonds have also been slammed. Investment grade bonds also making a sharp move lower. Take a look at the iShares aggregate ETF tracking investment grade debt down 11 percent since January for its worst start to a year ever. And check this out. Bank of America noting that globally, government bonds are having their worst start to a year since 1865, not 1965. 1865. Wow, that's an RBI. And just about the only thing that rose the first half of the year was most commodity prices. Of course, most notably oil, which just turned in its ninth positive quarter in a row for the first time ever in crude oil, staying above 100 at 107 and change right now. All right, let's get some of your top stories on this Friday morning, including the latest twist in Kohl's trying to find a buyer. Bertha's back with that and more. Bertha.
3: Hey Brian, shares of Kohl's sinking ahead of the open on news that it's terminating talks with Franchise Group over a potential sale for its business. That according to sources telling CNBC, the development coming after CNBC learned last week that Franchise Group had been considering lowering its bid for Kohl's closer to $50 per share from about $60. Kohl's has been under pressure as it's faced declining sales. Tesla is facing another lawsuit by black employees alleging racism and harassment at its Fremont, California plant. Fifteen former or current workers at the facility claim that they were subjected to racist comments and behavior by colleagues, managers and human resource employees on a regular basis. And a former top corporate lawyer at Apple pleading guilty to insider trading charges. Prosecutors say that Gene Levoff exploited his role for five years to review drafts of the company's quarterly results before they were announced and making trades around them. They add that Levoff ignored the quarterly blackout periods that barred trading before Apple's results were released, as well as the company's broader insider trading policy, which he was responsible for. We're enforcing
1: brian the hr execs at tesla and the lawyers at apple i i don't think anything can surprise me anymore at this point bertha <laughs> really
3: yeah interesting allegations
1: Ridiculous. yeah they are and they are allegations but apple the lawyer okay it's, it's always the lawyer bertha thank you very much All right, now let's get to one area of the market that has been hit even harder than most lately. And that's saying something. That is semiconductors, AMD and NVIDIA, leading the bunch of the worst performers this week. Both chip giants now more than 50% off the November 2021 all-time highs. The SMH semiconductor ETF also coming off its worst month since 2008. It is now trading at its lowest level since November of 2020. Now, one possible cause for this meltdown is demand. On last night's earnings call, Micron CEO Sanjay Matora saying that the warning the demand has weakened and that his company is slashing its fourth quarter guidance in response at stock sinking in the wake of those comments. But despite the weakness, analyst ratings on the sector remain as bullish as ever. Take applied materials, for example, AMAT at a 31 analyst rating, 71% say the stock is a buy. The rest are holds with no sell ratings. Joining us now is Patrick Coe, Senior Research Analyst at Stiefel. Nicholas, Patrick, Patrick, welcome to the program. Um, Your clients, you know, probably a little bit nervous right now. It's been a a rough go for semis. What's your best piece of advice for investors in the space right now? Yeah, Brian, good morning. Uh, I, I can't deny that there's a lot of concerns
8: out there in the marketplace with the macro and recessionary fears. And what Micron said, I wouldn't say is a total surprise in the near term. Uh, environment, but for long-term investors, I, I actually believe semis are one of the best places to be, uh, especially if you're looking over the next several years. There's more silicon content going into uh, a lot of applications and markets, and I believe it's a big secular driver uh, for the overall marketplace. So, for long-term investors, I, I definitely would uh, stick st- stick through this uh, rough patch and actually probably
1: buy a little more if you have a long uh, time horizon. You know, and we we talked about Applied Materials, AMAT, obviously one of the biggest companies in the world in that space going into the break, but you like a couple of smaller names where you see a lot of implied return, and that is names like an MKS Instruments or an Integris, not names that we talk about too often here on CNBC.
8: Yeah, so those are, are small cap names, but still sizable and very liquid names. Uh, MKS Instruments is a company that supplies a lot of the components to the applied materials to the LAM researchers of the world. And as those equipment companies benefit from the increasing silicon content I, I just mentioned, MKS Instruments benefits from that. Integris is a company that has a mix of materials as well as other contamination control solutions. And as semiconductor manufacturing becomes more complex, you're using more materials different types of materials and you need more contamination control to keep the yields high for semiconductors in the future. So both are very well positioned from a fundamental as well as from a secular growth standpoint.
1: Yeah. What about a name like uh, Cormet Digital and some others? I mean, again, these are not household names that we talk about much. Do we care about the the, the distinct spaces that these companies are in? Like what parts of the semi, we always say semiconductors, like it's some great singular universe, yeah. but it's not. They do very different things. Yeah, the, the semiconductor
8: ecosystem is is very different and very complex. And obviously, we don't have the time to go through all of those different aspects. But I, I would highlight that I believe the equipment industry is probably one of the biggest beneficiaries of some of the secular trends on a going forward basis, because they're, they're the ones that are supplying the capacity the process know-how. So they're going to be particularly important. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, there's been a supply shortage and a lot of that is due to a shortage in capacity. So the, the only way you solve that problem is by adding more capacity. And if you look at the equipment companies themselves, I believe areas like contamination control, uh, more materials engineering, Uh, Those are the drivers for what, you know, we see big industry uh, drivers like the digitization of the
1: economy. Integris, MKS, Cornet Digital, some new names there. Patrick Ho, we appreciate you coming on. Worldwide change. Thank you very much. Have a great day, Patrick. Be well. Thank you. All right. Some new names for you there. All right. You're welcome. On deck. Problems at the ports going well beyond China. Up next, we're going to talk about what's happening in Europe. But as we had to break, more first half stock stats to toss around at a cocktail party tonight. And if your friends ask you, hey, how bad have things been to start the year? You tell them this Apple's more than 20% drop, the worst in four years. Amazon's 35% loss, the biggest since 2001. Alphabet and Microsoft down 22 and 17%, their biggest drop since 2008, to 2010. If you're playing stock market return Jeopardy tonight, you are well-served by watching this program, my friends. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. We're going to kick off this block with a little market stats, but not looking at equities. We're looking at the metals because it's also been a tough year for some of the metals. Copper is down 19% this year, falling 13% alone in June, the worst month since September of 2011. Also, a tough June for nickel, down more than 23%. The upside of these declines, and maybe there is one, and that is maybe to help bring overall inflation down just a bit. We have seen commodities come off some of their highs. Well, time now for your weekly insider buying segment, where we exclusively highlight the top five stocks being bought the most by the C-suite level executives with their own money. And as always, the info comes with our thanks to Verity Platforms Data we're going to count you down five to one. Let's go. The fifth most insider buying this week, Pipeline Company Enterprise Products Partners, a $450,000 buy by a board member, by the way, her largest by more than 50%. The fourth most buying, Home Bank Shares, a board member buying 514000 of that bank stock. Stock number three is Enviva. That is a Maryland-based wood pellet maker, the largest in the world. A $994,000 buy by the CEO. By the way, one of the few recent insider buys at the company. Now to the top two insider buys of the week. DaVita, the dialysis company. A $1.5 million buy by the COO. And by the way, only the fourth total insider buy ever at DaVita going back nearly 20 years. That's something to watch. And the most insider buying this week is it Plains All-American Pipeline, a nearly $2 million buy by a board member. Shares of PAA are down about 12% this month, so the board member buying on a little bit of weakness. There you go. The names, Enterprise Products Partners, Home Bank Shares, and Viva Da Vita, and Plains All-American Pipeline, two pipeline companies in that mix. That is going to be, by the way, the last insider buying segment for a few weeks, because going into earnings season, we get a quiet period where there's no insider purchases. So, We'll be back in a couple of weeks with Insider Buys. But as a general rule, we try to do this most Fridays, a segment you'll only see right here on Worldwide Exchange or on CNBC Pro. So sign up for CBC Pro today. Well, when you hear talk about the American supply chain, you automatically think about China. But do not forget about Europe, because it is also the origin of hundreds of thousands or more products for American companies and consumers. This morning, we have a CNBC supply chain heat map alert on Europe. CNBC's senior editor, Lorianne Larocco, joining us now with more. All right, Lorianne, you, you, you do this for fun. This is like your hobby. <laughs> what can you tell us?
9: It is, it, it's a strange hobby, isn't it? But it's actually become fruitful. So anyway, labor negotiations between the union representing the port workers at the German ports and the port operators are entering a sixth round of talks next week. But an impasse has led to worker stoppages and limited worker strikes. This has greatly slowed down the flow of trade. Check out the latest supply chain heat map out of Europe detailing what's happening at the major European ports, including Bremerhaven and Hamburg in Germany, but also Antwerp and Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Antwerp recently had a strike by unions demanding better pay. And Rotterdam has been impacted by labor slowdowns and rail problems. I've been told by grain worldwide logistics, it is difficult to get both imports and exports out of these hubs because of the weight. Now, the congestion is impacting empty container availability for Europe, uh, for exports across Europe. Now, this next chart is from Fredos and from Sonar. And it's tracking container prices from Europe. Now, why are you asking? Why is Lorianne putting this up? Well, if you have constricted supply of containers, it is going to push up prices and exacerbate inflation. Now, this is impacting the delivery of auto parts, assembled cars like BMWs and Mercedes, lithium batteries for Ford, home goods like flooring and furniture from IKEA. Now, U.S. importers have to request uh, European vessel space at least five to four weeks in advance, which is unusual. And if you can get a container, arrivals of these imports are seven to nine days late. This is creating what I have been called a domino effect of congestion, spilling into other European and American ports. And even in a good scenario, Brian, the backup is going to last four months.
1: Oh, so not much better over there. OK, so like what is like, the you know, if I want to get a ship tomorrow, what's my reliability on getting a boat right now?
9: It's really bad. It um, has not really improved. I'm always coming on with bad news. Vessels are still out of sync on a global basis. Now, this is tracked by sea intelligence and they are and they are telling me it's down and remains at 30 to 40 percent of reliability you also have continued rail issues inland in Europe. And so if you're lucky to get a container in Europe, that does not mean it's going to get on the rail. Um, as, and it's also stuck in the yards.
1: Yeah, I, I'm looking at your heat map there. I, lo- I love this stuff, by the way, because all we do is talk about China all the time. But we forget that, you know, Europe has collectively pretty much the biggest economy in the world, or at least at least it did. Lorraine LaRocco, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, really unique data there from Lauriane. Good stuff. All right on deck. Stocks trying to pick up the pieces after a brutal first half to a year. We're gonna dig through some of the market rubble, get a little context, and look at maybe in store, or maybe in store for the second half of the year. Joe Fama is coming up with that. Stick around. Or welcome back. Time now for a bonus Friday RBI and why not because Thursday brought a merciful end to the month quarter and first half of the year. We say merciful, of course, because it's just been brutal across most of the stock market. So let's get a little bit random but interesting on the scorecard and if you don't want tough numbers, turn away or mute the TV. Here we go. All right, this is as you know, the first worst first half to a year for the S&P 500 since Ali McGraw and Ryan O'Neill starred in Love Story, 1970. We fell 20.5% this year. And this year, the S&P 500 has lost more than $8 trillion in market cap. 13 stocks in the index have lost more than half their value this year. That is led by Netflix, which is down 71% in 2022 and has wiped out five years of gains. And here's something hopefully random but interesting with yesterday's drop. The June, this June, was now the worst June for the S&P 500 since the financial crisis in 2008. Higher rates, inflation, and a slowing economy, a toxic combination for equities. All right, enough nastiness. Let's end on a positive note. Energy, something that we have been talking about a lot for more than a year on this program, it's been a big winner, with the widely owned XLE ETF up 28% this year. And the top stock in the S&P 500 is Occidental Petroleum. It has doubled in just six months. So congratulations to CEO Vicky Holub and her investors, the only stock to double this year. So let's all say goodbye and good riddance to a first half of the year. And here's to a better second half of the year for all the stock market. Heck, for all of America in every way. So let's try to wrap up the show with maybe a little bit of optimism longer term. Joe Fami is managing director at zor capital and joins us now and i just put you on the hook joe give us a little optimism even if you don't have it or feel it pretend we need to hear it to kick
10: off july why not yeah no thanks for having me brian i do have optimism in the fourth quarter last time we spoke in april i said that the market wouldn't see any sustained uptrend until the fed stops or at least pauses their current rate hiking cycle now Since then, it's been an ugly downtrend. We've had some bounces, but they've all been short-lived. But I'm sticking to my call that we won't see any sustained upside until the Fed verbally announces that they are pausing their current rate hiking cycle. Now, the reason I feel an an announcement's important is because when you look historically at past corrections, we tend to come out of them when the Fed has a shift in policy. Three quick examples We had a correction in 2010, and it wasn't until Ben Bernanke, the Fed chair at the time on September 1st, came out and announced QE2, providing uh, liquidity and a launch for a new uptrend. Fast forward to the fall of 2018, the Fed was also raising rates, and and we had a correction then. It wasn't until Fed Chair Powell came out in early January 4th of 2019 and said the Fed would be patient on interest rate policy, and of course... Mm. More, most recently with the pandemic, it wasn't until the Fed provided that insane liquidity and accommodation that led to a sustained uptrend. So bottom line is uh, and, uh, market participants need to be patient until the Fed announces a, uh, a shift in policy.
1: And when's that going to be, Joe? I mean, I only half joked on the program the other day and I was only half joking that when do we start talking about Fed rate cuts? I know that sounds ridiculous. But at some point, they're going to they're going to send this economy into the tank to kill inflation. They're going to have to make that pivot. When do you think that all important pivot to a dovish Fed will happen?
10: August, the end of this year, early next year? Yeah, I think we, need, we just need an indication that they're going to pause this current cycle. There's two meetings coming up. I think best case scenario for the bulls would be the next meeting in July where maybe they raise 75 basis points, get Fed funds somewhere between two to two and a half near the highs of 2018. And then they pause and say, we're going to be patient and let the recent hikes filter and absorb into the system. My likely scenario, though, is that the next meeting in September is when they'll do it for two reasons. Number one is they don't want to look like they're interfering with the upcoming midterm elections. And the second reason is that midterm election years tend to bottom statistically and historically around August, September. So that's the time where I'm looking for a pause yeah. and for some, uh, a sustained upside for the, for the fourth quarter.
1: We, we like to call them Opportunity Fridays here, try to leave people going to the weekend with some investment ideas. The one thing COVID did, it made us forget that there's a lot of other bad things out there that we need to solve, whether it's cancer, whether it's a host of other diseases. We kind of forgot about them for about two years. We need to put them back on the front burner, and I would imagine that's one reason that you think that biotech which is down by 50% as a sector in two years, is probably a good long-term bet.
10: Yeah, for exactly the reasons you mentioned, uh, one way to play it is with an ETF, uh, XBI, for example. I like it for three reasons, that uh, the relative strength, meaning that when the market made a low in May and made a new low in June, uh, the XBI held up better. So it's showing that it's absorbing this correction better. Second reason is a lot of, Biotech stocks are approaching at least near-term 52-week highs. And the third reason is that Big Pharma, their balance sheets are pristine. They have tons of cash on hand. And I think you're going to see in the second half of the year, Biotech outperform, led by some M&A from some of the Big Pharma. We've already seen it earlier this year, and I think we'll continue to see it into the uh, second half.
1: And the be- Joe, you think the best way to play that is, you know, listen, you can bet on a biotech. The stock. biotech stocks do go to zero. I mean, if they have a high flyer in one drug, it doesn't work out. The stock has no value. It's, it's a risky segment. Best way to play it, just the XBI, uh, sort of a
10: wide ranging ETF. Yeah, it's, it's equally balanced. XBI is one. IBB is another one. But that, to your point, it takes out the single stock risk. So it's a way to play the overall sector.
1: Yeah, you know, and the paradox of the market, Joe, is that people love stocks back in November and they hate them now. It's like if you like a stock for 10 years from now, you should like the discount, I think. Joe Fami of Zor Capital, love having you on, my man. Thank you very much. Have a great long weekend. Happy Fourth of July, Joe. Thank you.
10: Thank
1: you. are very welcome. All right. We do have a long weekend coming up, by the way. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I will see you back, I think, on Thursday, next Thursday. Yay sleep on this show, but I'll see you today on Halftime Report. I'm in for the judge, so I'll see you at noon Eastern time as well. Squawk and the gang picking it up. Dow futures just turned positive. Happy Friday. You're welcome. Squawk is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.